I was checking people in, doing parking. Everyone that pulled in to the conference, it seemed like had GPS pulled up on their phone. So it doesn't happen a lot these days out on the road. Uh, sometimes it happens though. Anybody get lost to the first main session? I did. Anybody get lost the first breakout? You know, in the, the hotel and place can be a little confusing. Um, you know, getting lost, it doesn't just happen on the road. Uh, it doesn't just happen at a conference, a new place, something like that. Uh, sometimes it happens in life. We can feel like we're lost in life. And in those moments, we, we need, we don't just want, we long for direction. Something or someone to show us the way to go. What is the best next step? What direction do I need to head to get to where I ultimately want to be? You know, that is what we are here for talking about not just life and getting down the road, but a lot of times that need that you feel when you're lost, it happens in life, especially if you're thinking about graduation, right? You feel that sense of wanting some help, wanting to know what direction do I need to go from here? What is the best next step? Um, how many of you over break? I'm assuming most of you are juniors and seniors got asked the question, so what happens after May? <laughs> So are you going to be in grad school, or have you thought about what comes next at all? You know, and it's all with good intentions, but I remember my senior year, I felt like I got asked that beginning to end, and so much of me wanted to be like, please stop asking me. As nicely as I could, but I was just so sick of it. I was really overwhelmed. I had a lot of questions, and honestly, sometimes I didn't even want to think about what came next. I was enjoying college and I didn't want to think about what would happen next. Um, and so I'm imagining that you guys probably feel a little bit like that um, if you're anything like the normal college student. And so we want to provide you with a little bit of direction and we're going to start by looking at the Bible. Yeah, so think about what comes next. And even when we think about like a young adult, like can I really know from the Bible what, what direction does God have for me? The good news is if we're following Christ, we can. We do have one good verse. When we think about Jesus, we can go to to get some direction for what comes next. What does the rest of this adult, young adult life look like? And the verse is this. It's Luke 2.52. A real simple verse. It says, And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and people. Guys, in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, we have about 50 days. 50 days of Jesus' life recorded. That's it. Just 50 days. And this one verse captures his life from roughly age 12 to when he began his, his public ministry about age 30. So this is his teens and his 20s. So right where you guys are at right now, this is all we get. You know, it doesn't satisfy our curiosity enough. What was, what was it like to, for Jesus to have brothers and sisters and growing up? And what was his first job? Was he mowing grass? Was he cleaning gutters for Mary and Joseph? What did he do? We don't get that information. But we do get enough of a picture here of what it was like for Jesus to be in his teens and be in his 20s to find some direction for us. The first thing we notice is that Jesus grew, which is perfectly natural and normal. He was a human, just like us. And specifically, he grew in four areas. He grew in his wisdom, that's his intellectual life. He grew in his stature, that'd be like his physical life. He got older, just like we do. It's kind of funny to think of Jesus going through puberty. What would that have been like? It would have been perfect and holy and good, but still, it had to have been something. But he also grew in favor with God. That's his spiritual life. And grew in favor with people. That's his social life. This verse gives us a picture that as Jesus moved through his teens and his 20s, that he grew holistically 
as a person. And that provides a lot of great direction for us. But there's one more word that we can't miss before we move on here, and that's the word grew, the word grow. And for this word here, just to, to give you a little bit of Greek, it's the only time I think we're going to do this, this word is prokopto. Prokopto. This word, you would think that it would be something like a biological term. The, the person who wrote this is Luke. We know the Bible tells us that Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. He's a, he's a specialist in biology and human development, that kind of thing. And you'd think that he would have pulled a word out of the biology textbook. But he doesn't. He picks up this term prokopto, and it literally means to beat or to pound forward. It's the word right out of the blacksmith shop. It's where you put in that, that hunk of metal, and you heat it up red hot, and you pound on it with a hammer and, and an anvil, and you shape it, and you form it into something very useful, something that has a definite purpose and intention behind it. That's the picture that we get here of Jesus' life. See, a lot of times we, we want to grow without with it being easy. But this verse tells us it's not easy to grow. We have to get out of our comfort zone. It may be a funny thought to think that that's what Jesus had to go through, but he had to get out of his comfort zone to get out into the growth zone for God to grow him and shape him and develop him, literally pound him forward to be the man that God wanted him to be, to enter the public ministry that he, that he lived out, go to the cross, and die on our behalf. This is the picture of Jesus, and it provides a sense of direction for us moving forward. Again, it doesn't satisfy all of our curiosity, but it at least shows us the way moving forward. And so where we're going today is we're going to look at three different growth areas that we believe are going to be really helpful for you all to think through what comes next. Graduation's coming up, maybe in a few months or maybe later in December, something like that. But what does that look like? What are these areas of growth? If Jesus grew in this time, so should we. What is that going to look like for you? So I've talked enough. I want you guys to turn to the people next to you. And the first question up here is turn to your neighbor. Show them the emoji that best describes how you feel about what comes next and why you picked that one. When you finish talking with your neighbor about that one, feel free to move on to the second one. I'll bring us back together here in just a few minutes. Well, hey, if you're feeling a little anxious about what comes next, that's okay. Alyssa and I are going to talk a little bit more about what that was like for us. We can relate. We've been there. Uh, we've been there. But really, uh, I hope... I really hope that you come away, even from our time tonight, feeling pretty encouraged, that there is a sense of optimism and hope for what comes next, because honestly, it only gets more fun. Life only gets better. It's an incredible adventure. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. So I really hope you guys do have that sense, especially as you're living it with God and trusting him every step of the way. But let, let me introduce us. We didn't really get to do that yet. My name is Bob Harrison. It's my wife, Alyssa. And this is our lovely family. We have five children. And so if you look tired, that is why. Um, our oldest is 10. That's Hannah. And then we go Josh in the glasses. He's eight. Hunter is six with the cool swoop hair and the shaved side. Uh, Haley is four. She is the one to watch out for. She's a little firecracker. Born on the 4th of July. And actually, at one point, caught her bangs on fire. It's just like a little fuse. She doesn't need to be lit on fire. She's always explosive. It's great. She, she literally, when she's whispering, she's yelling, Dad. It's great. She's not And then little Ben, he's like the sweetest last baby. I mean, he literally is the perfect last child baby. Um, he does think he's half T-Rex. At least he's a T-Rex half the time. He even pulls his arms in and, like, gets his hips out and wide legs and stomps around the house and even bit Alyssa one time just because that's what T-Rexes do. <laughs> so Alyssa and I met at Kansas State University. Uh, we both were in the Greek system. 
and uh, came on staff at Kansas State. We recently moved to Kansas City to launch a little ministry, part of STUMO, still with STUMO, called uh, LCKC, or Laborers Community Kansas City. This is a group of the picture. We're basically helping grads as they transition from college into the working world to find a sense of community and some of the training and encouragement that they need to continue to live for Christ right where God has them as young professionals. And so it's been a lot of fun to get to do that the last year and a half or so. And so when we're even talking about this topic, uh, we're pulling from personal experience. Uh, we're pulling from experience that we've had working with grads, a lot of our friends here. Um, we're also going to be pulling from God's word as well. So those kind of are our sources tonight as we hope to give you some encouragement for what comes next. So here's where we're going. The number one, number one growth area that I want us to think about as you guys are heading off <clears throat> after college, doesn't matter where you're going to, working world, back to school, um, missionary overseas, wherever it's going to be. The number one thing to think through is your spiritual growth. And the key question here is what will you do to continue learning following Christ and growing in your faith. The objective here, what we're aiming for, is depth with Jesus. I mean, what a great time when you're young to go deep with Jesus. You have more time to do that now than you ever will. Again, what does that look like? <clears throat> I say three things. These will be the three subpoints. We'll talk them through here in a sec. Uh, truth. Uh, it's going to be so important that you learn to understand truth and your own understand truth. Truth comes from the Bible. We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about theology, which may seem like big, scary terms, but it comes a point where, hey, we need to begin to tackle those kinds of issues. Um, identity, answering the question, who am I? As well as the spiritual disciplines, developing the spiritual disciplines now while you still have the time to do it. <clears throat> let me even run through what God has to say about these, and I'll let Alyssa describe what that looked like for her. When it comes to truth, this is what the Bible says. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus, when he describes truth, he says, I'm the truth. A lot of times we think about truth as something impersonal or out there, really abstract. Guys, truth is a person. It is God in the flesh. And when we talk about getting to know truth, we're getting to know him. And so we think about opening the Bible to get to know God. It's not about necessarily knowing your Bible better. That's a great thing. Or studying theology, that's a great thing. And as we know truth, we're going to grow by it. It's going to sanctify us and set, up, set us apart. But man, get to know the book to get to know the author of the book. That's what the Bible is for. Let's get to know the author. But not just truth, identity. When it comes to identity, I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. It captures it. The old is gone. The new has come. You're a brand new creation. It doesn't matter if you've been in Christ for 20 years or 20 minutes. There is the exact same brand new identity. A son, a daughter of God, completely forgiven. The righteousness of Christ applied to you. All of your sins been forgiven. What a phenomenal identity. It's where we go to get our ultimate worth. You know, what God says about me is more important than even what I say about me or Alyssa or my kids or my boss or anybody else in the world. That's where I go to get my value. And that's true for every single one of us in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. But what I love about the way we think about identity, we can't just be like, well, this is all of who we are. Because I look around the room and I see a ton of unique faces. I see a ton of individuals. And God's design for identity and who you are and answering that question involves the things that make you unique as an individual as well. It's not just this common, universal, mind-blowing identity in Christ, but the individual nature of who each and every one of you are as well. We see that in places like Romans 12. 
And by the way, I'm going to give you a couple verses for each of these. I could give you a couple dozen verses for each of these. This is just to get you guys started on the journey. Uh, Romans 12, 4 says this, For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them. No one of us has the exact same gifts. And we need one another to be the best that the body of Christ can be in this world. It's a beautiful thing. And lastly, the disciplines. Paul said, hey, everyone runs a race, run it in such a way to win. He said that he disciplines his body. He beats it black and blue. That's the, the attitude that we need to have as we think about entering into what comes next. That we'd be so disciplined in every area of life is what he's talking about here. So that after we preach to others, after we share the gospel with others, we don't become disqualified. And this is really intense language. It's the, the language of an Olympic athlete. But what I love about the way the Bible puts it, it's very realistic. We'll see that as we go again. But even in Hebrews 12, it says, For in the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, sometimes it can be really hard just to wake up and memorize verses or read my Bible or talk to an invisible God who doesn't seem to be in the room in prayer. But as we do this, look what happens. It may be painful to do it, but those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We engage in the spiritual disciplines to grow in our faith, to keep growing, and it is so, so worth it. There's no other way. Yeah, just got to help you see a better picture of this. When I was taking my next steps away from college, the spiritual disciplines were like a lifeboat for me. And so right after you graduate college, it can be a little tumultuous, you know, there's like, you got a new job, you have a new city, you have new friends, and you're like, what is going on? And they really were a lifesaver for me. They were what kept my faith afloat during that season of high change. And so um, I was a teacher right after college, I taught third grade, and um, you have some early mornings as a teacher. I had to be at work at 7.30, and we had a 30-minute drive. So I met a group of teachers at 7 a.m. We'd drive to work together. And that meant my time in the Bible in the morning was short. But you know what? I needed the spiritual disciplines. I needed to get to know Jesus better. Because all of a sudden I had questions like, God, what do you say about my identity? It feels so different than in college. And had it changed, but me and my situation did. And I needed God to tell me again who I was in Christ and how he had made me to be. So because I was like up early Monday through Friday, you know, Saturday I'd like sleep in, wake up at like seven. It's like wah, wah. <laughs> but my roommates, they were, they were still sleeping because they had a little bit different job than I did. And so I would just get up and go to Panera. I don't know if anyone goes to Panera anymore, but back in the day it was cool. <laughs> and so I would go to Panera in the mornings on Saturdays from like, you know, 7.30, 8 a.m. to 9.30, 10 and just sit there and I would review, God, tell me more about you. God, tell me what is true about me. And the, the discipline of doing that, I mean, that's, what's, that's what helped save me as I was making those next steps and being like, oh, I don't know exactly what comes next. Mm -hmm. That's really what you know kept my faith afloat. And so um, we're gonna discuss kind of with people around you, but as you turn, to your friend or partner, whoever you're sitting next to, and we just want you to think about, man, well, how have you seen God already be faithful to you in college? And how do you think um, that's gonna inspire you to keep going? So turn to your partner and talk about that, and if you wrap up that, then move on to the next ones about disciplines.
All right. Hey, so we talked about the spiritual growth dimension. That'd be like an upward dimension in our life that we want to continue to grow in life after college. The next one I want us to focus on is our personal ministry, our personal ministry. This is where we're going to ask and answer the question, what will you do to grow in your vision, heart, and skills for personal gospel ministry? The objective here, what we're aiming for is a gospel impact on others. We want to impact others with the good news of Jesus. And so what this is going to come down to is really three things. It's going to come down to evangelism, uh, disciple-making, and multiplication. When we think about these three, obviously we want to share Jesus with people who don't know him, but it doesn't just stop there. When people respond in faith, we want to help them grow. We want to help them along to, to grow and mature in their faith. But even more than that, we want to equip them so they can share others. That's what multiplication is all about. When I think about the aspect of personal ministry, it's like, well, why is it so important that I continue to grow in this after college? This could be something that would really easily slip and all the pressures and, and demands of the working world or whatever could come next. This one can easily get shoved to the back burner. Why would I want to do that? Well, guys, my illustration got stolen. In the, in the main session this morning, I literally looked over at my wife like, Melissa, you just stole it. But here's the good news. Philip didn't have pictures. I got pictures. Here we go. <clears throat> here's the Jordan River. Pretend like you've never heard this before. Just pretend. Humor me. So you got the Sea of Galilee up north and Dead Sea down south. This is basically a map of the Holy Land. Modern Israel, ancient Israel, it's all there between the Mediterranean Sea and basically the Jordan River Valley. It's fascinating when you think about it that God chose this piece of land on the entire planet to put his people. And there's really only four bodies of water, and you can kind of forget about the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. The word Jordan just means to descend, and all water rolls downhill, so it's kind of a lame name for a river, technically. But you've got the Sea of Galilee, and you've got the Dead Sea. Look at this. This is the Jordan River. Again, not very impressive. It's kind of nice to know, like when you're from Kansas, that other parts of the world have unimpressive rivers, too. So <clears throat> there it is. Um, this is the Sea of Galilee. I mean, there's like shepherds and sheep and vineyards and trees, and it's, it looks like a beautiful, I'd love to go there one day. It looks like a decent little vacation spot. It's the Dead Sea. Whoa. There's rocks. Just rocks. If you like rocks, it's probably like, oh, I want to go there. But, I mean, think about it. Sea of Galilee. Dead Sea. Why is the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? It's simple. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee and out. The Jordan River only flows in to the Dead Sea. And so life flows through the Sea of Galilee, and it is a living body of water. Life doesn't flow out of the Dead Sea. It's bigger, but it's dead. And so it's so easy to become that in our Christian lives. And even when you read through the Old Testament, that's a little bit of the story of what happened to God's people. And it's, a, I think, a warning even for us in the church today. We want God's life to flow into us and out of us and not just into us. The difference couldn't be more impressive to me. <clears throat> what about evangelism? What does God say about it? Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. Mark 3.14, he appointed 12 so they'd be with him and that he could send them out to preach. He, Jesus brought people into his life for the explicit purpose of sending them back out having experienced him. 
<clears throat> Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when people respond, the command is this, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, behold them with you always, even to the end of the age. We, we are still called, this hasn't changed, we're called to make disciples. But what kind of disciples? Second Timothy 2, 2 kind of disciples. Disciples that multiply. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. And if you've been around Stimo long enough, you've seen these verses before. But you know what I love about multiplication? Is that it's so realistic. It's so doable. You guys have probably heard the difference between addition and multiplication. The mass evangelist, 1,000 people every day for 50 years, 18.25 million converts. It's really funny. My, my daughter, Hannah, who was nine at the time, we're reading through the Bible. We'd read a chapter a day in the morning. And we got to, I think, this verse, and I kind of drew it out for her. I said, hey, Hannah, what do you think about this? And I drew out the, you know, the 50 years, 1,000 people a day, that kind of kind of thing. And, and she goes, Dad, that's not possible. I was like, oh, you get it. Well, you know, what do you think about this? What if, you know, you work with one person over the course of a year, and at the end of the year, you become two. And at the end of two years, you become four. And four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16, and 32, and 64. Hey, Hannah, I pulled out my calculator on my phone. It's like, watch this. Boom, 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 boom. 30 times later, eight billion. And she goes, Dad, that's possible. I was like, she gets it. <laughs> and I love it because multiplication literally doesn't matter where you go after college. It's totally doable. That is my favorite thing about multiplication. And you're probably asking yourself, well, what can I do now? If you go back to that question that's at the top, you know, what will you do to grow your vision, heart, and skills for personal gospel ministry? I'm just going to get some really deep advice. Keep learning how to do it on the college campus. And that sounds really simple. You're like, I'm already doing it. Great. Keep doing it. Because what I've learned is it doesn't matter, like Bob said, the, the role that you have post-college. Because even though it might look a little bit different application-wise, it's going to look, the principles are the same. Let me give you an example. And so when I was a teacher, I was trying to figure out how to share my faith with the other teachers um, in my building. And I was like, well, what did I do in college? Well, one thing I did in college is I tried to get time around the people. You guys heard that at Stumo? You go to a clay and they said, get time. You want to build friendships that once you build the friendship, you can share the gospel with someone. I was like, I got a time with these girls, these, these teachers. Well, they're busy. You know, they got lives. They're moms. And they were, you know, I was 22 and they were like 40. I'm like, I don't got, I don't, what do I have in common with them? But then I was like, I got to get time with these. Well, then my teacher mailbox in came a math conference. Might sound boring to you, but I saw it as an opportunity. So I went over next door to Candy. That's who I taught with. And I said, do you want to go to a math conference with me? Yeah, let's apply. So we applied, and then we got accepted, and we, we were in Junction City, and we drove to Kansas City, and we spent three days at a math conference together. Now, from just working eight to five or, like, seven to four as a teacher, we didn't get that much time together normally. But now, so we had three days together. We had to drive up to Kansas City, go to the conference, talk about it. We went to dinners, lunch, everything together. And at the end of that, I got to share the gospel with her. I was like, man, same principle, different application, but same principle. Um, and then as a mom, even, you know, we moved to Kansas City um, about a year and a half ago, and I was like so excited. I was like, we're moving to a neighborhood. It's going to be so awesome. 
no one comes out of their houses. <laughs> I was like picturing like children running through the streets and they'd all be over all the time. And it's like everyone just pulled into their garage and then shut the door. <laughs> and so I was telling this to Bob and I'm like, I, I just, I want, I just, I want to be able to tell more people about Jesus, but we don't know anybody in our neighborhood. I mean, besides we met like one person. And so I had an idea. How do I get time around people? So my kids and I printed Easter egg hunt flyers. We're like, we're hosting an Easter egg hunt. So we color all them, and then we went door to door in our neighborhood. Hi, <laughs> we're the Harrisons. We moved in, yeah, September. Yeah, we've never met. Well, we're hosting an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> Do you want to come? Door to door through our neighborhood. Um, and people came. I told Bob, I was like, you got to buy a lot of Easter eggs. <laughs> he was like, you buy Easter eggs to the glory of God. And you know what? <laughs> we bought a lot of Easter eggs. And Bob is really generous. He even got, like, the nice candy. I was like, get the cheap, like, Smarties. You know, no one likes those. Um, but he got, like, the good stuff. And so it was so great. I feel like it really began a friendship with one of our neighbors up the road named Megan, who has three kids. And so, you know, if you can do it in college, it's going to translate to whatever you end up as. Whether you're gonna be a mom, whether you're gonna be an engineer, whether you're going overseas, it does not matter because the skills that you're learning now are gonna benefit you no matter where you go. And so we're gonna move on to some discussion. You guys can talk a little bit about that. So when you think about your personal ministry, how do you wanna grow and develop? What areas do you wanna continue to develop in um, before you leave campus? And then if you finish that, go to the second one. All right, isn't Alyssa great? I'm like, I'm just about ready to go back in the back of the room and sit down with you all and just let her run the rest of it. What do you think? Uh, okay. Well, hey, we've looked at the, the, the first two. The last one we're going to look at is life foundations. Life foundations. Talk about spiritual growth and personal ministry. Those are pretty straightforward. But what do I mean by life foundations? Well, we think about foundations like the foundations of a building. You know, foundations are built first. They're the things that, that hold the entire building up. It's something you see under that you don't see. It's all underground. But really, it's the foundation that determines the size of the building. You can't build a skyscraper on a puny little foundation. <clears throat> and lastly, you know, if something happens to the foundation, they're really costly, sometimes even impossible to repair. Sometimes buildings have to be completely torn down or moved just because the foundation is cracked or broken and won't hold up the building on top. And so when we talk about, about life foundations, what are those essential skills now that you need to develop you know, when you're young, in your 20s, so you don't have to come back along like in your 50s, like three decades from now, and do a lot of major repair work. And so those kind of things we're talking about here come down to the key question, what will you do to make sure you continue to grow and developing as an adult? And so really where we're going here is maturity. That's the objective here. What we're aiming for is just basic maturity in yourself. We've had the upward with God, we've had the outward with others, but now we're thinking about inner life maturity in yourself. And really, it comes down to this. Maturity is simply not growing older, but really it's about growing up. I assumed wrongly that everyone grew um, up when they grew older. And the first time I realized this was not true was um, my first or second year of teaching, I can't even remember exactly, but their there, district was throwing us like this teacher celebration dinner. Really nice. We had done well on some standardized testing our students had. So, like, man, we want to celebrate the teachers. And we had this kind of like awkward time between like when we finished teaching and when the dinner was. And so one of the teachers that I talked with, the kindergarten teacher, her name was Anna, was like, hey, you guys should all come over to my house in between. You know, so she invited all the teachers. You know, and I remember, I'm like 22, fresh out of school. 
but Anna's probably 30, which I know sounds old, but it's still young. And then like Candy and Peg, who I taught with, are like 45, 50. Uh, so we got like a wide range of ages here, right? So we all go over to Anna's house and I walk in, you know, I'm excited to see what we're gonna do. And she starts pulling sheet pans of jello shots out of her fridge. And I'm like, it, it, it's like a time warp. Like, am I back at a frat party? Like I thought, I thought people were past this at this point, but the reality was they had only grown older. They hadn't grown up. It was funny, actually a lot of those teachers came to our wedding when we got married, um, which was really nice. So they drove two and a half hours to come to our wedding. Um, and we didn't serve alcohol at our wedding. And they, I said, can we actually uh, bring our own alcohol? Would that be okay? I was like, I, I sure. I, they're like 50, that's probably your parents' age. Can you imagine your parents saying those kind of conversations? I was like, whoa, people don't grow up. They grow, they just grow older. And I was like, man, I really want to be a person that grows up. And so we all have our little hiccups. You know, I was telling someone earlier, I like forgot to pay my car insurance for like six months right before we, do you remember we got married? And I was like, you don't have car insurance? I was like, oops. So it's a, it's a process. Just so we're not perfect, you're gonna grow up. So we're gonna talk a little bit about how do you do that? Pay your car insurance. Um, and what does that look like? Oh, uh, just the illegal one. That's all, that's all. <laughs> well, hey, what three areas we need to focus on to grow up, to become mature? I would say these three, our personal skills, our relational skills, and our professional skills. Our personal skills, that'd be just our own life. Can I do life on my own as an adult? Can I take care of myself? Um, then relational skills, can I relate well to other people? I don't wanna be a pain to people. And my professional skills, can I do my job well? Can I be excellent in my work? Let's take a quick look at what the Bible has to say about these. And we'll let you guys talk about it. I love how practical the Bible is when it talks about maturity. You think about Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And in verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. That implies that you already are looking out for your own personal interests. Just don't focus on yourself. Maturity takes care of yourself so that you can look out also for the interests of others. That's part of being an adult. It's like being a parent. You know, they hand you this baby. You no longer take care of yourself. You're taking care of this other person now. They send it home with you without an instruction manual. You just got to figure it out. This is about being an adult. <clears throat> I love 1 Timothy 3, 5, how practical the Bible is. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Here Paul is instructing Timothy for the qualifications of an elder, for the leaders of the church. You don't look to business. You don't look to athletic success or fame or fortune, anything like that. You look inside the home. Can this individual run his family? And those are the ones that should be running the church. Can you take care of yourself personally? All right, how about relationally? I love Matthew 5, 9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Let me call the sons of God. Be a peacemaker. Be a Christian that is a peacemaker. It's very rare in our world today. We have a lot of people disturbing the peace. Jesus wants us to be peacemakers, bringing people together. <clears throat> Colossians 3, 12 through 15. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. You guys know that you're holy and beloved? That's part of that identity. Isn't that a great line? Put on a heart of compassion. Because of who you are in Christ, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, remember that he's talking to people in the church. Wait, you're telling me that Christians can be a pain? <laughs> You know, it's the older you get, they realize people usually only get a little bit more difficult. 
let's not be difficult people. Let's be like this. Just as the Lord forgave you, so you must do also. Lastly here, let's talk about relational skills. Proverbs 18.24, a person of too many friends, you could say companions, comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Lastly, I think just be, be a friend. Be there when someone needs you. Learn to, to make enough room and margin in your life to be available for those who are hurting and in need. Be that kind of friend that you would want someone to be to you. So let's develop our relational skills. And lastly, our professional skills. These are some of the best ones, I think, to think through as we're taking our next steps forward. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a person skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure people. Um, back my first year on staff at K-State, um, I, I got to see a freshman ATO named Josh come to faith in Christ. Now, fast forward all the years later, Josh is a, a financial uh, expert, and he manages wealth for other people, significant amounts of wealth. And I was catching up with him over lunch the other day. I was like, Josh, when you think about what it's been like for you out of college in the professional world, what, what one thing would you want to tell people who are graduating and going to the working world? He said this. Be excellent at your work. Be excellent at your work. It reminds me a lot of what Jesus what was said about Jesus in Mark 7:37. He did all things well. And this, you see that influence comes from excellence. You can get away with a lot of stuff in college and kind of just slough off school and still have influence, but that is not how the working world, that's not how the rest of the world works. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 7, and 8 says, With goodwill, render service as to the Lord, talking about our work, and not to people, knowing that whatever, check this out, whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether slave or free. I think often we have a really incomplete view of what God thinks about work. Let me just try to sum it up like this. This one slide, you may want to take a picture of it. This one might change the next like 10, 15 years of your life if you understand how God views work. Number one, work is so much more than what you're paid for. Work is what you were made for and what you were saved for. You get that? Genesis 1, Ephesians 2 right there. Number two, God is a worker. You realize this? God is always at work. Jesus even said, my father is always at work. And number three, God cares about all your work and wants to reward your work. That's what Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6 right there was all about. Even Colossians 3 is all about. God cares about all your work, whatever it is. Because work isn't just what you're paid for. I think about Alyssa and all the work that she does as a mom. Like, I, I, I don't want to talk about the work I do as a dad because it doesn't compare at all to what she does as a mom. Doesn't get paid for that. But man, God cares. And I know that the way that she raises our kids and the way she cares for them and the way she cares for me, that's work too. Sorry, honey. Just, I'm a handful. <clears throat> it's rewarded. Work is not just what we're paid for, it's what we're made and saved for. God is a worker and God cares about all of our work and wants to reward us when we do it well. So, Alyssa, let me uh, turn it over to you to explain this. So I really was a teacher. Um, this is a picture from my class in 2009, which if you do the math, that means you could be sitting in this room today. So I hope you're not. These people are 20 or 21 today, which makes me feel really, really old. Um, but maybe if you are, were in my class or the year before, come tell me that third grade was your favorite year of your life. Because I'm sure it was. Um, my first year teaching, um, I really didn't understand that God cared about my work. 
Um, I spent a lot of time, I was working, you know, and trying to work, and then I was like doing ministry stuff over here at the same time, but they were separate. And they did not combine. Work, 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 and then do ministry. Work, 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 and then do ministry. And I was really tired um, and really confused. But as I spent time doing those spiritual disciplines we talked about earlier, I came to understand that God cared about my work and valued what I was doing. And it was like all of a sudden this blindfold that I had on came off. And I was like, oh, wait, so I can like live for Christ in my classroom? And that was like revolutionary for me. It was all of a sudden I could see all these ways I could represent Jesus as a teacher. Um, one of the ways was the, uh, my classroom library. Um, these kids, it was a little rougher environment, and um, a lot of them brought in these books to school that were like trash. I was like, where are they getting these? They're eight-year-old kids. And they would show me and read the books. So finally I said one day, we're done. You can't bring any books from home. It's against the rules in my class. And I went to the Christian bookstore that night and bought every book I could find that I thought they would like and put it in my classroom library because I said, you know what? From the hours of 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., these kids are gonna hear and see what honors Jesus because they don't have a representative at home. And I am their representative. And so I wanted to protect their hearts and protect their minds. Um, another thing was, is I started choosing to spend my plan period. Teachers get one like 45 minute period a day to like plan for everything. And I was like, I'm just not going to be in my room during plan. I'm going to go next door to Peg. She had um, was battling cancer at the same time. And I was like, I'm just going to sit and be Peg's friend. I'm going to hear about her life. Peg's 55. She came to our wedding. Um, and I just made that decision. And once I realized God cared about my work, it made me, one, a more excellent worker. I you know, wasn't the best teacher, but I was a good teacher. I worked hard. I wanted people to say, wow, she does all things well. I wanted to have that influence like Jesus did. And two, it made me a better witness because I was a good worker. And so um, it was a really fun season in my life. And I feel like those skills and those things that I learned have impacted me um, today. So I think we have a little bit more discussion. Yeah. Um, so how would you describe the difference between growing older and growing up? You guys are still pretty young, but I mean, even when you talk to someone that's 18, are you like, whoa, that's different. Um, so does any, like, does anyone come to mind who has grown older without really growing up? Maybe you know someone like that. Or talk about the second one, and then we'll bring it back together here real quick. All right, well, hey, we're coming to the end of our time. Let me just review real quick where we've been. We looked at Jesus, Luke 252. We saw that he spent his teens and his 20s growing holistically. And so we've looked at three different areas for us to grow. And really there's the upward, the outward, and the inward dimensions of life, our spiritual growth, our personal ministry, and our life foundations. If I could challenge you with just a couple of really, really practical steps, they'd be these, just three Ps. Have a purpose. As you leave and graduate, have a purpose. Now, obviously, it's probably going to be gospel-related, and that is great, but be even more specific than that. You know, if you're among engineers, have your purpose. I'm going to represent Christ to these engineers. If it's with other um, nursing students, it's with these nursing students, I'm going to represent Jesus here. Have a really specific purpose. Then have a plan. Have a plan for your growth and development. Let this front side of the sheet uh, be the thing that, that guides even the most basic steps forward. How can I continue to grow in these ways with those key questions and hit those objectives? And lastly, have a partner. Do not do this alone. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. You simply will not be able to make it on your own. I promise. Find someone else who has the same desire as you. Partner up with them. Pray. Hold each other accountable. Find a great church to get plugged into. 
talk to a pastor, let them know that this is your heart and your desire for what comes next after college. And man, enjoy the ride. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life, abundant life. And that is not just in college. And believe me, as great as college is, I love it. Alyssa loved it. I promise you it only gets better. Okay, let me pray for us. And uh, we'll be done. God, thank you so much for SMC. Thank you so much for Jesus. <laughs> Lord, I wish I knew so much more. I've got so many questions for you about uh, those years. It gets summed up in just one line. Um, but God, I'm grateful that in the generality of it, you give us enough direction to know the way forward. God, help each and every one of us to continue to grow for a lifetime spiritually and personally. And God, even now, to lay those key life foundations to be of greater service for you years from now. God, we commit this to you and we pray for your best. In Jesus' name, amen.